You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Uh, Michael Evans here and young adult pastor and connections pastor. And it's just so good to be here with you this morning in what is a great series that we as a church are in. We are in part nine of a series right now that we're going to talk about in just a moment within a grander theme for the entire year, uh, our year, starting in September, known as Step Forward. And this concept that God doesn't want us to stay stuck where we are. He doesn't want us falling behind. But instead, God wants us to move forward. He's a God who wants us to progress forward. He's got big plans for our lives. And so our main text is Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so it is a very beneficial process to look at the scriptures and to look at lives who followed God well, because there are paths and steps that they have taken that we should take in order to actually step forward as God has called us to step forward. And so we've been in the book of Acts for a while now, like the entire summer, and we're continuing on. And if you missed prior messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcasts and may your life and your lives be greatly enriched as a result. And we call this particular series we are in Page Turners, because you can look at people's lives and followers of Christ in the scriptures and, and how they lived in obedience to God, and we should follow in step. And God wants us to, to step forward by following the footsteps of these great ministry giants. It's really a special thing when you come across people who follow God, serve him with all of their heart, and they do it well. When we were In Myanmar, we had a team of students and adults. 23 of us went overseas in what is a very long flight, let me tell you. Um, But literally on the other side of the world, 12-hour difference in Southeast Asia. And we went to Cambodia and Myanmar. And the leader of Myanmar, his name is Chung Nung. And a part of me is a little hesitant to bring up this story because I'm still praying to God that he's going to come to this church at some point uh, as soon as he can get his whole visa situation taken care of and give this testimony firsthand. But this is a man who is the leader of a children's home and and, uh, what God is doing, a very impactful and meaningful and powerful ministry in Myanmar. And he looks over all of these children who come from poor families. Some don't have any parents. And he talked of this moment early on in his ministry where he came down some stairs and he saw these students, these little children's sandals, these flip-flops, and how he saw a whole pile of them and how they were broken and how many didn't even have shoes. And he was just moved to tears. God had moved inside of him and was leading him to really care for these children. And yet they didn't even have shoes and proper shoes on their feet. And so he went home to his wife and said, what money do we have? We have to get new shoes for these children. I just can't bear to see the state of these sandals, some students walking around, children walking around barefoot, others with broken sandals. What what money do we have? And his wife responded, we don't have any extra money that we can part with. And then he turns and he says, oh, what do we have that is of value that we could sell? Because this cannot be this way. This cannot stand. And they turned to, they turned to their own wedding rings. And they prayed and they came to this conclusion, we ought to sell our most valuable possession, which is our wedding rings, in order to buy these students new sandals and some rice for about a month. 
and they went ahead and they moved forward and they sold their wedding rings. And God, as a result, had blessed their lives because of their obedience to a calling, to a ministry in which they received. And when we look at these lives of people and giants of the faith, we're reminded of the scriptures, people like Chung Nung in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's a kind of faith, a faith that's willing to sell whatever needs to be sold in order to follow through on the calling and direction God has placed on your life. That's That is a worthy endeavor. That is a a faith that ought to be imitated. And when we look at those giants of the faith in Acts, these are faith and people that ought to be imitated. And we're going to look at two this morning in Acts chapter 15. I would encourage you, if you want to turn there, you're more than welcome. There are two figures in the book of Acts, and especially in Acts chapter 15, that I want to hone in on this morning. And that is Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, these are two men of the faith and whose steps are in line with God and whose faith we ought to imitate. And as a result, we will step forward. We will experience a movement forward and a direction that can come from God, a power that can come from God as we imitate such strong faith. Amen. So Acts chapter 15, you're more than welcome to follow along in the Riverside app. There's a there's an app there and notes, sermon notes that you're more than welcome to follow along. There's a situation in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, um, which talks about this problem. There's this problem where there were the people of God. And for a long time, it was really, aside from a special couple of instances, it was all contained within one people group, the Jewish people. And then, of course, Jesus came and he blew the doors open to a relationship with God. Those who were far from Christ or those who are outside of the Jewish people known as the Gentiles, they could come into the faith as well. And those early people of God, the Jewish people, they had all of these rules and laws that they had to follow. Everything from what they could eat to what they could wear to how they were to compose their worship and even their own physical bodies. And so now that Gentiles were coming into the picture, these hyper-religious and um, this particular sect of Judaism, the Pharisees, who like to look at the different laws and follow them to a T, every I dotted, every T crossed, they noticed that the Gentiles were coming into the faith, and yet they wanted to impose their own laws onto the Gentile people, these new people in the faith. And in this particular situation, it was cause and reason for concern because they were like, hey, we want these people and they need to be circumcised if they are to come into the faith. Now, I would encourage you, if you don't know what circumcision is, do not Google it. But I will tell you, you can go because this has been tested, tried and true. You can go to Wikipedia and then type in circumcision and then read safely and view safely what this means, but I'm sure most people here know exactly what that means, and this poses a problem, especially if you are a Gentile believer. Amen? Amen, men? Yes, men? Yes. Amen. And so this situation is not okay, and so Paul and Barnabas, they come onto the scene, and they're like, whoa, whoa, hold on here. Let's, let's look at this a little more closely here, and what we're trying to impose on our new brothers and sisters and brothers who are coming into the faith. And so that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 15. And I want to read verses 1 through 11. You're more than welcome to follow along, but I'm going to actually read from the message paraphrase because I like it in this instance. It wasn't long before some Jews showed up from Judea insisting that everyone be circumcised. 
If you're not circumcised in the Mosaic fashion, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet at once in fierce protest. The church decided to resolve the matter by sending Paul, Barnabas, and a few others to put it before the apostles and leaders in Jerusalem. After they were sent off and on their way, they told everyone they met as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria about the breakthrough to the non-Jewish outsiders, the fact that this faith is now available to the Gentiles. Everyone who heard the news of this change, they cheered. It was terrific news. When they got to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were graciously received by the whole church, including the apostles and leaders. They reported on their recent journey and how God had used them to open things up to the outsiders. Some Pharisees stood up to say their piece. They had become believers, but continued to hold to the hard party line of the Pharisees. You have to circumcise the pagan converts, they said. You must make them keep the law of Moses. The apostles and leaders called a special meeting to consider the matter. The arguments went on and on, back and forth, getting more and more heated. And then Peter took the floor and he said, friends, you well know from that from early on, God made it quite plain that he wanted the pagans to hear the message of this good news and embrace it, and not in any secondhand or roundabout way, but firsthand, straight from my mouth. And God, who can't be fooled by any pretense on our part, but always knows a person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave him to us. He treated the outsiders exactly as he treated us, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. Amen. Isn't it amazing how God wants to come into our lives and he wants to clean us from the inside out, make us a better version of ourselves? I'm so thankful for it. So why are you now trying to out-God God, loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too? Don't we believe that we are saved because the master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us just as he did from beyond our nation? So what are we arguing about? And then they all came together and then James, he stepped up and he spoke a verdict that all of the apostles agreed with, including Paul and Barnabas. In Acts chapter 15, verse 19, it's one that's worth writing down, maybe putting it on your wall. If you're a Christian who's into tattoos, tattoo it across your neck, you know, nice, visible and good for stuff. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. This was right in line with the heart of God. God, he, he left the heavenly places and he came so that he, it would not be difficult. He made a system based not, based not on works, but on faith. He placed your faith in Jesus Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. The fact that the cross and sin and death couldn't hold him down, but he rose from the grave. You can come to this relationship with God Life in this life, a rich and meaningful and purposeful life, but also life eternal. By placing a faith in Jesus and the finished work of what he had done on the cross, and we ought not to make it difficult for people. We should not make it difficult. And that was this base agreement and understanding. We should not make it difficult for people. 
when we conduct our ministry in our lives on an individual level and even on a corporate level, meaning the church, when Christians come together, we ought not make it difficult. It should not be difficult for people who are far from Christ. Echoing and, and mirroring the heart of God. When you read Luke chapter 15, you read these parables and these stories of, of a woman who, who left her coins and went searching for that one lost coin. You read of this shepherd who would leave the 99 sheep in relentless pursuit of the very one. Talks about the prodigal son who lived his life in squander and irresponsibility. Went and lived a, a foolish life on his father's inheritance, which he received way too early, smug young man who wasted it all, found himself in poverty. He came running back home to a father who didn't turn his back on him, but instead held his arms out open wide. We should not make it difficult for those who are trying to turn to God. And that's why we at Riverside, we say every time from the stage, we exist so that people will find and follow Jesus. And we're going to do it here at the mills in the mall. Why? Because we don't want to make it difficult for people to turn to God. We want to go to where people are. We want to go to where the need is. We don't want to make it difficult. We are relentless in the way that we, we talk, the way that we want to be authentic. We do not want to make it difficult for people to turn to God. Amen? That is a worthy way to live your life on an individual level in ministry and also as a corporate church that we ought not to make it difficult for people to turn to God. And I'm also sympathetic, however, to the realization that when it comes to how we are to conduct ourselves in our ministries, whether it be on an individual level, which yes, you don't have to be a pastor in order to minister. Every day that you live, you are ministering as a Christian. That is our purpose. That is our meaning. That is our mission. We ought to minister wherever we are. But it's also true on the corporate level and how we conduct ourselves in church. And if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call on Jesus as your savior uh, and you're just kind of checking this church thing out, then this is a good morning for you to be here because Luke, or Acts chapter 15, excuse me, is one of these passages that speaks well and directs well the church, directs the church well, gives some baseline, like good, concrete things for us to move forward together, unified, strong uh, movement of God is the church. So um, this morning you get like an inside look at some family talk and some family business. And uh, so I think it, it ought to be enjoyable for you. Um, but I will say, in crafting this message and in seeking God in this text, from the very beginning, I was like, wow, you know, our church really does a good job here and what the scripture is teaching. And I'm thankful for that. And it's foundational type stuff and things that we ought to be reminded of um, on a continual basis. And so when we are conducting our lives and our ministry and coming together as the church, in ministering and how we are to function as a church, we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And I'm very sympathetic to the fact that there are just a lot of gray areas. And in the midst of gray areas, because the Bible doesn't speak directly to every single circumstance and situation, what comes into play are judgment calls. Judgment calls come into play when things are existing in gray areas and when honest Christians are trying to do the best with the scriptures that they have been given, with the direction that God has given, we're doing our best here. Judgment calls. What's a judgment call? For instance, 
We don't know what the scripture says exactly to how a preacher should conduct himself in a mall, in Tarentum, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, should that preacher wear a hat when he is preaching. It's a judgment call. I know some people, see there are three people in this room. There are those who didn't even notice I was wearing a hat as a preacher. There are those who are not sure how they feel about it. And I'm wearing a hat as a preacher. And then there are those who are like, he shouldn't be wearing a hat. He's a preacher. (laughs) We're going to come back to that because that's a great example. It's actually my personal preference to not wear a hat when I preach. Not because of any reason of reverence or anything like that, although maybe some here would make an argument and feel very strong conviction that it is irreverent for me as a preacher to wear a hat in church. For me, it's more like, I know that the the hat blocks the light in my face, and so you can't see my face when I'm getting very passionate about the scriptures. That bothers me, because I'm very passionate about Jesus, and I want to make sure people see it on my face. And then I also know that truly and understandably, I have an an understanding that it really does bother people, and it might bother people that I wear a hat when preaching. And so as someone who's concerned with edifying the church, I would rather not maybe open up that can, just depending on the mood I'm in, you know? (laughs) But things take judgment calls. And as Christians, we have to make judgment calls. And we have to make judgment calls because, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right now we are imperfect, imperfect, although God is doing a work in our lives and we are new creatures in Christ, we are still imperfect. And as 1 Corinthians 13 says, it is still as though we are looking through a, a, a dim piece of glass, a dark piece of glass, until we reach that place of perfection. And so it just requires that we make some judgment calls every now and again. And so when we're making judgment calls... We also need to recognize that with every judgment call, there is the lean. We have leans. Something that I want to affectionately refer to as the lean. The lean. And what is the lean? There's two that I want to talk about this morning. There is the lean that is known as you are a person and your lean is grace. You are a person of grace. Your lean is grace. And then there are those who are known as a people of truth, people who lean toward truth. Some words, and this is going to be maybe a a very, maybe partially failed attempt at trying to do this. Some of the words that kind of compromise a person of grace is someone who is very forgiving, someone who has uh, a, a propensity toward loving people and loving them a lot and caring for people. A person of truth might be someone who is very reverent, someone who is committed to devotion. And when you look at the lives of Paul and Barnabas, you see the different leans. When looking at the life of Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verses 36, he receives this name of of Barnabas. He's referred to by the other apostles as Barnabas, which literally, literally means a son of encouragement. He can't help himself. He is a person of grace. He sees the best in people. He cares about people. He wants to give people second chances. He is very much in a line of grace, a people orientation, forgiving. 
Then you have Paul, on the other hand. He also cares about people a lot. And this isn't exclusively a person of grace with no truth in a Christian life. It's never exclusively a person of truth without grace in their life. It's just you tend to have a lean, the lean. And then you have someone like Paul, which I love reading about Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. This is Paul speaking. And you can guess. I want you to guess which like lean he has. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's all about truth. He doesn't care. (laughs) And those leans are important in the Christian church, in the group, in the body of believers. The lean in both sides of the lean is very important. Why? Because we're still imperfect and we have to make judgment calls. It's as if we're looking through that darkly lit piece of glass, that dim piece of glass, until we reach that place of perfection where we are reunited with God. But then there's the truth where each of the different leans have to help one another because every strength, and it is a strength, when you are a person more of grace, that's a strength. If you're a person more of truth, that can be a real strength, and that lean can be an absolute strength to your life, and it'll be a strength to the church. But we have to work together because every strength is vulnerable to a corresponding weakness. Every strength is vulnerable to a corresponding weakness. And so if you are a person of grace, there is a tendency that you might stray to a point of weakness or sin. And that actually happened in Barnabas's life. There came a a moment that's recorded in the scriptures of in uh, Galatians chapter two, verses 11 through 14, where Barnabas was alongside some Pharisees, some Jewish people who came and prior to their arrival, he was all about this new message that God had of the Gentiles are in and you can sit and these are brothers and these are sisters, these Gentile believers. And then when the Pharisees came into the picture, he cared a little too much what they thought. He started to shape shift out of the character that God wanted him to be because he had this innate desire to please people and his lean went strong a little too far away from the truth. And when the Pharisees came into the picture, these re- religious leaders came into the picture, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. And in that moment where he leaned too far, it was at that moment where Paul and the people of truth said, hey, hey, hey. What are you doing? Don't you forsake the gospel? Don't you forsake the truth that God has grafted in these uh, these Gentile believers, that they are brothers and sisters? You ought to still sit and eat with them. And in this situation in Acts chapter 15, we see those people of truth, the Pharisees, who are all about devotion and reverence and trying to follow God, the law of God to a T, they started trying to impose laws on these new Gentile believers that they ought not to. So the people of grace reminded them and told them, hey, we should not make it difficult to those, for those who are trying to turn to God. And so both of the leans 
serve as strengths in the church, but they also have a corresponding and potential weakness that we ought to look out for in our different leans. And the leans can help in those situations where you do stray off into the areas of sin. But then there are moments where judgment calls need to be made. And they just exist not in the area of sin where the person of truth to the person of grace who has fallen into sin can just say with complete certainty, hey, get back over here into the area of good standing with God and vice versa, same thing. They're, they're, you know, the moments where the person of grace can look and it's clearly the person of truth has gone out of truth even though they're seeking truth and they try to bring them back. There are moments of just completely gray area. And I would actually make the... Um, argument that it's in these gray areas where the church has a tendency to just hurt one another and to be nasty to one another. And instead of being a light to the world, instead they become something to be looked at by the world and say, like, I don't want it. I've been burned by that. They are nasty with one another. And maybe you're here and you've experienced that. Have you ever experienced in someone in church making you f- that, that they made it difficult for you to turn to God? Has that ever been your experience in church? Have you ever come to the humble place as I have before where I was responsible for making it difficult for someone to turn to God? There are moments where judgment calls need to be made and they exist within gray areas and there's just a difference of opinion. And the question is, in those areas of conflict, because they become areas of conflict, maybe like someone wearing a pastor or a preacher wearing a hat while speaking, it's in these areas of conflict where we need to ask the question, what's the best way for me to operate within the gray, with my particular lean? And we see that Paul is a person of truth. We see that Barnabas is a person of grace. And the question is, how do they... How do they interact with each other in the midst of conflict in a gray area? Because that would be a helpful thing to see, wouldn't it? And it is. And it happened. And I'm thankful. Judy was just saying beforehand when we pray as a, as a team, um, as a volunteer team, of, man, I'm just so thankful for the scriptures and how we receive guidance. It might be simple <laughs> on paper, but in practice it is so difficult. But what a good reminder for us this morning to observe how they interacted with each other in the midst of conflict, given their personal leans. In Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. The situation is this. There came a point in Paul's first missionary journey, which Pastor David talked about last week, where they're doing this circuit of going around and going to churches and delivering the gospel and strengthening these different churches. And Paul and Barnabas were together on that first missionary journey, and they had another guy by the name of John, John Mark. And there came a point during that first missionary journey where John Mark, he just decided to bail. He jumped ship. We don't know why, but he just got off of that missionary journey, and he went home. And it left a bad taste in Paul's mouth. And there came a moment where in Acts chapter 15, they're back And Paul is saying, let's go back. He talks to Barnabas and he says, let's go back and let's go and revisit those churches to strengthen them again. Talking about Paul's second missionary journey. And at that moment, 
uh, Barnabas says, okay, I'm all for it. I would love to go and do that circuit again. Let's see if John wants to go again. Why? Because his lean is a, he's a person of grace. But as a person of grace who wants to give a second chance, there's Paul who has his opinion because he knows the damaging effect of a person who has bailed in the midst of a first, mis- first missionary journey. And so as a result... In Acts 15, verse 39, it says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Everyone say parted. They parted company. They couldn't come to a resolution. They had their convictions and they went two different ways. And the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, he gives no, he's very objective about this whole disagreement and conflict. He doesn't say which side was right. And I believe that both sides were right. They had a difference of opinions. They had a difference of conviction based on their liens. And as a result, they ended up parting. Everyone say parted. Parted different ways. And they went different ways. And this wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing that they parted ways. And that's Referenced again by a theologian who would say, I don't think we should see this all as bad. Is it bad that one mission agency perceives wisdom in one strategy and another agency perceives wisdom in another strategy so that now two mission strategies, mission agencies are formed? In fact, there are agencies today with extremely high standards for their candidates, more like Paul's. And there are agencies who will send almost anyone who wants to go, like Barnabas. Is this all bad? And I would make the argument that no, it's not bad. They just had two differences of opinions. And in the midst of the differences of opinions, they didn't let it get in the way of their overall mission, which is let us not make this difficult for those who want to turn to God. Instead, they parted. Everyone say parted. They parted. And they went their separate ways. And when they went their separate ways, they demonstrated good Christian conduct for conflict. They both carried on their ministries. And the question is, there's two people who had their liens and in the midst of conflict, in the midst of even conviction and strongly held conviction, so sharp that they just couldn't see eye to eye. In the midst of our liens... Can the lean actually limit the kingdom of God? Can the lean actually limit the kingdom of God? And I believe it can. The lean can limit the kingdom of God when bitterness comes into the picture, when resentment comes into the picture, because we have our lean and they have their lean. It's like, oh, I just hate this person. I hate what they're trying to do in these areas of gray When bitterness enters the picture, when resentment enters the picture, when unnecessary division enters into the picture, it's when our liens cause that kind of division, that kind of resentment, that kind of toxicity, that kind of bitterness, like a wound festering in our hearts. It's in those moments where God is no longer glorified and the lean can actually limit the kingdom of God. It is amazing how something like that could become a stumbling block and make it difficult for those who are trying to turn to God. And that all can happen as a result of our lingering 
on these issues where we have this gray area, we have our opinion as strongly held uh, and believing Christians and those strongly held believing Christians, they have their conviction, they have their belief in this gray area. And it's in the moment there when we just linger that bitterness can begin to enter, where resentment can begin to enter, where division can be en- begin to enter. And I believe the enemy wants division to happen in the church. He knows that this is a powerful force to be reckoned with, this movement of the church, and he wants to do everything he can to stop it. And so this happens. We tend to linger. We tend to focus. We tend to, tend to fixate and camp out. Instead, what we ought to do is recognize where we stand, recognize the gray area, which takes amazing humility and a leading by the Spirit, and part. Not linger, but part. Maybe that doesn't mean a physical leaving from a location, like we can't be in the same room with that person. Maybe it does. But oftentimes we cannot linger and still be family in the midst of our disagreements. Why? Because we have a stronger thing to unite us than this thing that wants to divide us. It speaks of the power of Jesus. And why is that important? What can we do to make sure that we don't fall into this area where we're limiting the kingdom of God with our lean? Number one, I would say two things. First, we need to learn the lean. Learn our own lean. Seek God and see it. Are we a person of grace? Are we a person of truth? What is our lean in the midst of the gray areas? And then the second is so simple. Commit to Christian conduct for conflict. When we look at the lives of Paul and Barnabas, just as Hebrews says, for us to imitate their faith, we ought to imitate theirs, which is to not linger. Like I said, very simple on paper. And yet, oh, doesn't our blood boil when that pastor wears that hat? It's my preference not to wear the hat, actually. (laughs) And why is it important for us to learn the lean and to commit to Christian conduct for conflict? It's because Jesus, he came. He came and he gave his life to bring us in that he would make it easy, that it would not be made difficult for us to turn to God, but he came, he lived a sinless life when we were sinful. He died the death that we were to die on the cross. And yet death couldn't hold him down. He rose from the grave, proving to be the all-powerful Lord of all. So that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are brought into this amazing movement and people of God known as the church to which Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Notice the word build. He wants to build his church. He wants to move in people's lives. He wants to move in the individual church person's life, the Christian life, that we ought to build up the people of God. And yet I feel it is so often easy and tempted to just deconstruct, to pull down. It's easy to get caught in our leans and to instead of build up, we end up tearing down the very thing that God wants to build up to withstand the gates of hell. And given our particular leans, the question then becomes, well, where does Jesus exist? If this is the all-powerful Lord of God, Lord of all and God of all, then where does he exist in the lean? What's his lean of truth and grace? 
John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Ready for this? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He stands perfectly, directly in the middle. He's willing to sit with those who are far from Christ, far from him as friends. He calls the sinner and the tax collector, the prostitute, the friend. And yet he's got no problem calling out when sin is entering. It's harder for a rich person to go through the, 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 it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You better turn, you wicked and sinful people. The gates of hell are going to take you in if you don't turn from your right. He stands directly in the middle. I want to invite the worship team to come back up this morning. And it's because of Jesus standing in the middle and the fact that we are an imperfect people still waiting for this day of completion where God's going to get rid of all sin in our lives. It's because of Jesus standing in the middle that we need all different people in the church, those who lean these different ways, so that when the person of grace is starting to get a little too comfortable outside of the truth of God, it's in that moment, away from Jesus, it's in that moment that the person of truth can say, hey, get back over here closer to Jesus. And when the person of truth is feeling so convicted and and feeling so strongly about this held belief that they're actually starting to make it difficult for those who are outside of the faith, it's in that moment where, remember, person of truth, you need to get closer to who Jesus is. And this is the dance that we as an imperfect Christian people need to have with each other time and time again to help each other. Let's identify the lean approach conflict with Christian maturity and stay unified and on mission because it is, it is then that we become that unstoppable force, which is called the church that God wants to build. And even the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you have given us your word and that you've made it clear that we are not to make it difficult for those who want to turn to God. And I thank you, God, for the way that you have wired us and that you have moved in individuals' lives, God, the person and people of grace and the people of truth. God, I pray that you would help us to help one another, that we would rise up and be unified as the church and recognize the calling on which you have placed on our lives and the grandeur and the honor of bringing this kingdom, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that you will help us in the midst of our conflict, in the midst of our difficulty, that in those moments, we would be able to rise and be a beautiful light to the world that shows that yes, we can disagree. And maybe it's even okay to disagree, but we can do it with so much grace and so much love that it actually becomes something winsome to those who witness us from the outside and that you might be glorified as a result. Too often, God, the church is marked by what it is against and instead, God, we want to be known by what we are for. That we are for you, Jesus. We are for the love of Christ and how you change lives and how you set lives on mission. That you have a promise of life and life eternal that you want to bring in the most broken of people, God, and help us to be on that same mission of not making it difficult for those who want to turn to you. Convict us and help us as we strive to become more like you who stands right in the middle, a God of grace and truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.